Amen. Um, well, hey, as our host team is passing the buckets, I wanted to take just a moment to cover just some kind of family business stuff. Um, so here we go. Just two quick things. Okay, one is uh, it's about our five o'clock service. Um, you guys may have seen the video that we put out on Facebook this past week about our five o'clock service. We didn't just want to start this service and then forget to talk about it, so we want to keep talking about it because we really want it to work, okay? Um, first couple weeks, that service was right where we wanted it to be, 150, 160 people. And the last couple weeks, it hasn't quite been there. Um, but here's what I, I want to share with you, and this is good and exciting, but we need everybody's help, okay? Um, because of the number of people that are showing up to this church these days, we're kind of past the point of no return when it comes to three services, all right? We can no longer shove 11, 1,200 people into three services here. Um, if we do that, then again, we take up all of our seats and there's no room to grow. And because we're a church that wants to pursue people far from God, that's just not an option for us, right? We, we have to have space so that we can reach people. So at 5 o'clock service, we started it, as you know, to create more room. Um, but we also started it with the intention of reaching a group of people that we're not currently reaching. And, and that's that group of people that can't do church on Sunday mornings because of a weird work schedule, or as we've been saying, because they have really rough Saturday nights, right? And, and they're not quite ready at 10 o'clock in the morning for loud music and moving lights, okay? Again, we want all those people to know that there's a church in this community that loves them and wants them to be a part of a church family. So a couple things that I want to ask of, of everybody here, okay? Um, one, we desperately need about 150 people that are already a part of Crosspoint to make that 5 o'clock service their service. And I know we've had people kind of trying it out and, and shuffling through, and it kind of feels weird not coming on Sunday morning, but on Sunday evening. But if you haven't tried it out yet, I just want to invite you. Come try it out, and, uh, and again, it'll help us to create more space on Sunday mornings for more people. But, but secondly, all those people you know that can't do church Sunday mornings, pursue those people. Be intentional about going to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family members, and saying, listen, you, you got to go. you got to try this out, 5 o'clock, get there, and, uh, and let's just be intentional about going after the people that that 5 o'clock service exists for at the end of the day, all right? So can we all do that? Yes? All right, cool, cool, cool. Okay, second thing. Um, I had lunch with a friend several weeks ago here from our church, and uh, he was asking me questions about our elder team. And his questions made me very aware that I have done a poor job at keeping in front of our church kind of where we are in that elder process, okay? So I just wanted to update you quickly, and, uh, and I take full ownership. Um, I apologize if you've been wondering, and I haven't been telling you, so here's the update, okay? Um, right now, we have several godly men who uh, are in this elder process, all right? We've weeded through some. Some of the guys have taken their names out, um, but the men we're left with, they're all men that you nominated, godly men, so several of them have submitted their applications. Some of them were still waiting on their applications. And I am beginning to meet with these guys um, to kind of talk through next steps. And so here's my goal, okay? My goal is in the next eight weeks or, or, or maybe even before then to have this elder team selected, okay? Um, so you can pray for me, pray for these guys. We still got some stuff we got to get into and discuss and, and talk about. So just pray for that process, if you will. But, uh, but just know it's coming. And you'll know when it's here because we'll bring the men on stage and, and we'll present them to you and, and you'll have one final chance to say that guy shouldn't be an elder, okay? So, so that's coming, okay? Cool. Well, let's do this. Let's grab our Bibles. 
or if you have a device with a version app on it, grab it. Let's go to Philippians 2 together. Um, several weeks we started a brand new series on the book of Philippians called Citizens. And uh, the exciting news is that we've made it all the way through chapter 1, all right? And if, if you've missed any of the messages, you can go back on our website, watch them for free. But today we're jumping into Philippians chapter 2. And as you're finding your way there, let me ask you this question. How many of us in the room know what it's like to deal with family division or dysfunction? Anybody? All right, yeah, like the first service, everybody kind of snickered, right? And, and the reason you're snickering is because all of us have been there, right? I'm raising my hand along with all of you in the room because I know what that's like. Uh, my immediate family, even though my immediate family is incredible, we have walked through seasons and moments of division, of dysfunction. Um, I have extended family members still to this day who remain divided because there are issues they just can't seem to get past. And, and here's the honest truth. It doesn't matter how incredible or amazing any of our families are, there will always be issues that threaten to divide us, always, right? And, and listen, the same is true of church families. See, for those of you that grew up in church, you probably get this, right? I, I grew up in church, and uh, some of us, we may have been a part of churches that have done some amazing things, yet people remain divided over certain stuff, right? Um, maybe stuff like the style of music that should be played on a Sunday in a service. Uh, maybe people in your church uh, before coming here, they, they were divided um, over things like how people should dress coming to a service. Maybe over issues of, of governance and leadership. Um, maybe, and this is my personal favorite, maybe in a church you've been a part of, people were divided over something as silly as the color of the carpet, right? Now listen, for those of you that didn't grow up in church and you're going, really? Y- yes, really. That kind of stuff happens in some churches. It's crazy. But, but the point is that church families, they're a lot like a regular families. And it doesn't matter how amazing church families might be, there will always be issues that threaten to divide. And this is the very thing that we see playing out in the Philippian church that we've been learning about over the last several weeks. This was an amazing church, all right? They were getting a lot of things right, but there was some division. There was some dysfunction happening. And and we don't know all the details. We do know that some of it was coming from the outside because of false teachers. Some of it was coming from from inside because people just couldn't get along at times. Um, We don't know all the details, but we do know that Paul thought that it was important enough to address. And he actually starts addressing it in Philippians 2 by writing on the topic of unity. And so let's go to Philippians 2 together, starting in verse 1. Let's see what he has to say. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So in these verses, Paul, he points to four things that he says should unite us as followers of Christ, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy. Now, before we talk through those things, I think it's really important for us to understand Paul's tone in this passage, because if we're not careful, we'll miss it. And if you're somebody who emails a lot, if you text a lot, you know how easy it is to miss someone's tone when all you can see is something in writing, and you, and you can't hear their voice, you can't see their face, right? Like, Maybe you've received a message from someone before, you thought they were angry, but they were just messing with you. Or or maybe they were actually being serious and you thought they were joking, right? It's easy to miss tone if you can't see someone's face or hear their voice. And, And I think it's easy when it comes to this passage we just read to miss Paul's tone. Because he starts the passage off with this big word, if. 
which for us in a lot of ways implies a lack of confidence. It, it might mean that, that Paul's unsure about what he's writing, and here's why. Because when you and I use that word if, we use it at the beginning of speculative, hypothetical statements most oftentimes, don't we? Like, I'll give you some examples, okay? Um, you might look at one of your friends and go, hey, bro, if you wear that medium shirt when you really need a large, people probably are going to laugh at you, right? Um, another example, if you're a New Orleans Saints fan, we will pray for you, but we don't think there's much hope for you, okay? Um, one last one, if you're a dude and you watch the Twilight movies, you may need to hand in your man card, right? Listen, that, that if, at the beginning of those statements, it leaves room for possibilities, right? But it's not the case in, in what Paul's writing about. You see, Paul's actually very confident of what he's writing to this church about. He, he is sure that they have experienced all four things that, that he says should unite them, and that word if that he uses, he's actually using it in the same way that we use the word since. Since all of these things, since they're true, since you've experienced them, then you should be united, right? And, and, and these same things that he writes about should unite us as Cross Point City Church. So, so let's take a minute and let's talk through them. First, he talks about encouragement in Christ. Encouragement in Christ. The whole idea behind that word encouragement in this passage is this. It means to come alongside someone, to counsel them, to give them advice, and to build them up. A great example of this would be a coach. If you grew up playing sports like I did, what does a coach do? A coach, they, they come alongside you, um, they encourage you in those things you're doing well, they give you advice, they counsel you, um, they point out those areas of weakness so that you can do better, right? And Paul's going, that's what Jesus does for us as his followers. He's always coming alongside of us, building us up, encouraging us, counseling us. That's true of all of us, and it should unite us. Paul says the next thing that should unite us is comfort from love. Comfort from love. As a dad... One of the things that I love doing for my daughter is just getting down on her level. She's two and a half, so she's really short, okay? And so I, I love bending down and looking at her in the face and talking to her, giving her a hug, making sure that she knows her dad loves her. I love doing that. Well, well, here's the cool thing. According to the Bible, God, who's our heavenly father, he does the same thing for us as his kids, and you see, that's what Paul's pointing to in this passage. This word comfort, it's painting the picture, if you read it in the original Greek language of the New Testament, it's painting the picture of God being this loving God who loves to get down on the level of his kids, who loves to bend down, to whisper in our ears, um, not to tell us how jacked up we are, not to tell us how disappointed he is, not to tell us how, how many times we failed him, but instead he loves getting down on our level so that we make sure so that he can make sure we know we're loved by him. So Paul's going, that, that should unite us. Um, next thing, participation in the Spirit, or fellowship in the Spirit. Um, we did a series, six-week series in the fall here at Crosspoint on the Holy Spirit. And we learned in that series that after we come to know Christ, that God, he, he puts his Spirit inside of us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that same Spirit does the same stuff for all of us, as followers of Jesus. He guides us in truth, convicts us of sin, gives us power to overcome sin, gives us spiritual gifts so that we can serve others, and so on and so on. You see, he gives us the power we need to live the life God's called us to live. And, and Paul, with this statement, he's just making the same point he makes all throughout the New Testament, that because we have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us, we're all in the same family. We're all on the same team that should unite us. And, and then lastly, lastly, he says affection and sympathy. 
Or in some of your Bibles, these words might appear as tenderness and compassion. You see, and Paul's pointing to the fact that, that these characteristics, church, after we come to know Christ, they literally become part of our spiritual DNA. These characteristics are, are true of God our Father. So when God becomes our Father, they become true of us. This is like you having brown hair because your mom and dad have brown hair, right? And they, they pass along that brown hair gene to you. Paul's going, your spiritual DNA is the same, and you just have to know that God's going to work out these, these characteristics of affection, sympathy, tenderness, compassion in your life every chance he gets. So, so here's the tie-in, okay? Here, let's tie it all together. Since there's encouragement in Christ, since God comforts us all with his love as our Heavenly Father, since the same Spirit lives inside of us, since we all share in the same spiritual DNA, Paul is saying we should think alike, we should all think like We should actually love each other in the same manner. We should share in the same desires and passions. We should share the same purpose. In other words, we should be a united people. As Cross Point City Church, we should be united by a very common mindset. And if you're going, well, James, what does that mindset look like? What should it be? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading. Paul tells us in the next few verses. Okay, read this with me. Let's pick back up. He goes on and he says... Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Say that word with me. But in humility. Let's say it again. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul's saying the common mindset that should unite us as followers of Jesus, it's a mindset of humility. And I'm sure we all have our thoughts as to what humility is and, and what it isn't. So let's get on the same page and, and let's make sure we all know, right? One of my favorite definitions of humility comes from a guy named C.S. Lewis. And, and here's what he says. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less, right? This is very, very biblical. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. So Humility, it doesn't mean that you live your life as a doormat and you just allow people to walk all over you. Um, humility doesn't mean that you allow yourself to be taken advantage of and that you just give in to, to everyone's wishes and demands on you all the time. Humility doesn't even mean that you refuse to acknowledge those things that you're great at or really gifted at, right? That's, that's false humility, and I'm sure we've all met these people that, that put on false humility. A great example of that would be like me going to Dean, right? He's one of our lead guitar players and going... Dean, bro, you killed it today. Dude, I, I wish I could play guitar like you. And Dean looking back at me and going, no, I'm not that good, bro. You shouldn't want to be like me. There's so many other guys better than me. That's not humility. That's just annoying, right? Because to me, I'm going, that dude's killer. I wish I could play the guitar like him. If he's not good, then I'm really not good. You see, what true humility would look like is this. It would be Dean saying to me, you know what? I am a good guitar player, and I appreciate you taking notice. And I just want you to know that I know that God has given me all my guitar playing abilities, not so that I can use them selfishly, but so that I can serve his church and his people. And I'm just glad for that opportunity. See, that's true humility. Again, it's, it's not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less. And, and Paul goes on, as we just read in this passage, to break down this, this mindset of humility in a very, very beautiful way. He says that humility should cause us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. You see, in other words, he's telling us that we shouldn't be those people who push around our own agenda for personal gain or glory. And why? Well, because that's not very humble, is it? 
I mean, when you're busy being selfish and conceited and you're pushing your own way all the time, who are you focused on? Are you focused on yourself or others? You can say it out loud. Who are you focused on? You're focused on yourself, right? And, and when you live a life focused on you, your life is defined by pride, which is the opposite of humility, and that leads to selfishness, not selflessness. And so Paul's going, don't be like that. Instead, count others as more significant than yourself and look not only to your own interests, your own needs, your own wants, but look to the interests, needs, and wants of other people around you. How many of us do that on a daily basis? How many of us get out of bed and we look around and we go, everybody else is more important than me? How many of us get up every day and go, not about my interests today, I'm just gonna consider the interests of everybody else I run into? Right? How many of us do that? Can we just stop for a moment and think about how many relational issues might be solved if we actually all carry that humble mindset? Let's give some examples, okay? Let me bring marriage back up. I know we just did a marriage series um, recently, but think about this. Husbands and wives in the room, can you imagine what your relationship might be like if both of you woke up every day, got out of bed, and went, I'm just not going to be selfish today. I'm going to count my spouse as more significant and more important than me. I'm not going to push my own way. I'm not going to push to get what I want. It's not about my agenda. I'm actually going to put his or her interest and needs above my own. I'm just going to work to meet those needs. That's what I'm going to do. Don't you think that that humble mindset would result in a more unified marriage? I think it might. What about at your work, right? And, and I know, right, your boss is a jerk. You can't stand him. But what if you walked into work every day and went, he's more important than me. I, I'm going to let him be first. I'm going to be second. Um, I'm going to see him as more significant than me. I'm not going to push my way. It's not about my interests, wants, desires. Then I, I'll just, I'll just kind of think about his before I think about mine. You think that that would result in a more unified workplace? Maybe. Okay, students, what about this? If you're middle school or high school, um, parents, you can tune out for just a minute, all right? But, but students, listen, listen. What do you think would happen at home in your relationship with your parents if as a teenager you just decided, I'm not gonna be the teenager culture tells me I have to be. I'm not gonna be a jerk to my parents. I know Jesus, and because I know Jesus, what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna count mom and dad as more significant than me. I'm not going to be the selfish teenager that just pushes my own agenda around and hopes to get what I want all the time, but I'm actually going to think about the needs and the interests and the desires of, of mom and dad even before I consider my own. Students, you think that would change anything at home with mom and dad? Mom and dad are going, dear Lord, yes, it would. Please, God, please let them be listening, right? And listen, what about in our church? What about in our church? What if every person who made up Cross Point City Church walked in the doors each week and said, you know what, all these people are more important than me. I'm not gonna walk in the door with my own agenda. It's private, it's selfish. I'm not only gonna think about me and my interest and my own wants. This isn't about me. This is about Jesus, this is about other people. What if all of us as Cross Point City Church were a part of this church day in and day out with that humble mindset? Don't you think that it would result in a more unified church? You see, I think all of us in the room, no matter who we are, no matter what we walked into the room believing today, I'm convinced that we would answer yes to all of those questions. But, but here's what's so tough. What's so tough is that even though we know humility leads to greater unity among people, being humble is hard, isn't it? Man, it's really hard to put others before ourselves day in and day out. 
To, to see other people as more important than us, to do absolutely nothing, zero out of selfish ambition or conceit, that is really tough at times. And if you're saying, well, it's not tough for me, James, you're just better than me, I guess, because it's tough for me on some days, right? And I think it's tough for most of us. And, and the thing that makes it tougher is the fact that it's completely countercultural. I mean, you know, like I know, that we live in a world that tells us all the time, Look out for number one. You matter more than anybody. You take care of you. You let other people take care of them. And if there's something you want to accomplish, you don't let anybody get in your way. You actually step on them if need be to get to where you want to go. That's the world we live in. And and because that's our world and, and because humility doesn't come naturally for most of us, the big question we need to answer is this. How in the world do we get there? But how do we choose to embrace daily this mindset of humility that we know has the power to unite us as people. Well, there are a couple key things that we have to believe and that we have to be mindful of before humility can truly take root in our lives. And the first thing is this. We have to know and believe that Jesus went first so we could be second. That Jesus went first so that we could be second. And I'm gonna make sense of this, okay? Um, I think the reason that some of us in the room struggle so much with humility is because we see such a lack of it in those around us, don't we? Right? Man, wife, she's selfish, husband, he's a jerk, boss, hate that guy, kids, they're lunatics, right? (laughs) See, such a lack of humility in people around us, which leads us to this question. Well, if everybody else gets to act like prideful jerks, why do I have to be the humble one? If everybody else is is only concerned about them and don't care about me, why do I have to be the one that cares about them more than me? And the question to that, or the answer to that question, is really simple. Here's here's the the answer. Well, the answer is because none of those people are your example. See, Jesus is your example. Look at me. Jesus went first in exemplifying humility so that you and I would never have an excuse for refusing to be second to others. And this is exactly the truth that Paul goes on to write about in verses 5 through 8. Let's read this together. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What mind is he talking about? Well, the mind that's humble, the mind that does nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, that accounts others as more significant than yourself. Have that mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So think about what Paul writes about in this passage. He reminds us that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, who is God, gave up the very privileges of being God. He, He didn't cease to be God, right? But he gave up all that was rightfully his as God. He left heaven. He left being worshipped by eternal beings. He left ruling over the universe as master and king. He gave all that up willingly, even though he didn't have to. He wrapped himself in flesh, became a man, and came into this world as a humble servant. And he did that so that ultimately he could lay down his life for a bunch of arrogant, prideful, selfish people like you and me. See, Jesus, he emptied himself, as Paul says, so that he could be beaten, he could be tortured, 
He could be mocked. He could be spit upon so that he could have nails driven through his wrists and his feet. He humbled himself so that he could hang on a cross for six hellish hours, suffering the penalty for your sin and mine in our place. And listen to me. He put us first. He did all of that for our good, even though none of us deserved it. Jesus went first so that we could be second. So so look at me. In those moments when it's hard to choose humility, and I know it's hard, right? In those moments where your boss is a jerk, your spouse is selfish, your kids are morons, what you have to remember is they are not my example. The goal of my life is not to be like them. Jesus is the goal. He's my example. He went first. And because Jesus went first, I can choose second place. It's okay. I can put their good above mine just like Jesus put my good before his. He went first, church, so that we could be second. The second thing that we have to remember if humility is going to take root in our lives is this. We have to believe this. We have to believe that second place is a place of honor. We have to believe that second place is a place of honor. Now, I know that there's some of us in the room right now already. We see that on the screen, and we go, that's stupid. No, it's not, right? That's dumb. Because if you're anything like me, you grew up believing that second place was just the first loser, Like, nobody's playing for second place. There's no honor associated with second place. First place is the place of honor, right? That's completely counterintuitive. But but look at me. Because this is counterintuitive, this causes a lot of us to struggle with humility. It does. You see, because so many of us, we think being first is is that place of honor, What, what what it makes us do is this. It causes us to start believing that unless we make ourselves important, unless we lord ourselves over others, unless we demand honor and respect from those around us, the people aren't going to give it to us, right? And so what we do is we walk into our marriages, and instead of putting our spouse's needs first, we put our own needs first. Because we're convinced, if I don't put my own needs first, my spouse may not meet my needs, and if they don't meet my needs, that will dishonor me. At work, we walk in, and, and we're a jerk to everybody, and Why? Because we think if we're not, people are going to think we're a pushover. They're not going to respect us. We think that our honor's on the line. We walk into church even, right? And we go, you know what? I am bringing my own agenda, and here's why. Because I'm not going to get hurt and taken advantage of like, like that last church I was in. Right? My honor's on the line here. So, so no, I'm, I'm first. I'm putting myself before everybody else. You see, that way of thinking leads us to believe that if we don't exalt and honor ourselves, then no one's going to do it for us. But look at me. That's just not true. And I'm going to make my point by going back to this passage um, in, into verses 9 through 11 again. And we'll look to the example of Jesus. Read this with me. The Bible says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. So think about this. Jesus, in response to to his humility, in response to him becoming second, putting us first, what did God do? He honored him, right? He, He gave Jesus the name that is above every name so that every person in creation, every person past, present, future, will eventually take a knee and confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord to the glory and praise of God the Father. Because Jesus was humble, God exalted him. And listen, listen. 
I just want all of us to know, because of who Jesus is, man, we can choose to be humble now in this life, to confess that he's Lord, to honor him with our lives, or we can be prideful and refuse to do that. But listen, I'm just telling you that according to the scriptures, there's coming a day where you're not gonna have a choice. If you spend your whole life on this earth trying to exalt yourself after life is over on this earth, you will be humble. And listen, it's not gonna be a forceful thing. Here's why you're gonna be humbled. Because you're gonna see Jesus for who he truly is and you will choose in that moment to take a knee. You will choose in that moment to confess Jesus as Lord. But here's why you shouldn't wait on that day. Because your confession on that day will lead to condemnation, not freedom. You see, we have to choose Jesus now in this life so that after our lives are over, we can go on to live out our actual citizenship in his kingdom. Now, now listen, listen. This whole idea of humility leading to honor, you have to know that this is not just true for Jesus. It's also applicable to us. You see, that this truth, it's actually a consistent theme that runs throughout the New Testament, right? That, that humility leads to honor for you and I as followers of Jesus, right? And pay attention, I'll try to make sense of this, all right? Don't miss it, all right? Um, James 4.10 the Bible says, if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord, he'll exalt us. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Luke 1, 52, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Right, so listen, if you're that person who's fearful, who wonders, if I don't exalt me, who's going to do it for me? If I don't make myself important in the eyes of others, who's going to do it for me? God's going to do it for you. God's going to do it for you. You see, if you'll quit trying to exalt yourself, God will exalt you. If you'll quit trying to, to honor yourself, God will honor you. If you'll quit trying to make yourself important in the eyes of others, God will show you favor, and he'll make you important in the eyes of others. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that you're gonna have people bowing down and worshiping you like Jesus does. That may be what some of us want. That's not what you're gonna get, okay? All I'm saying is this. Somehow, some way, God will supernaturally satisfy that desire in your life for honor and importance. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it doesn't mean anything until you get to eternity one day and you actually become an heir of God in his kingdom. That's pretty honorable, I would say. But I think for others of us, here's the cool thing. What it may mean is that when we start humbling ourselves, that God provides us opportunities that we never thought possible so that through our lives, he's made much of and he's made known to a world who needs to know him. I read a book um, a few years ago that really impacted my life called God is the Gospel. It's by a guy named John Piper. And and in the book, he, uh, he had a chapter that really stuck with me, and he used this phrase, beholding is becoming. And he was talking about us as followers of Jesus becoming like Jesus. And he said, if you want to become like Jesus, it starts with you beholding Jesus. And to me, that just makes a lot of logical sense. And I'll give you an illustration to explain why, okay? Um, I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan, okay? Um, out of all sports teams in existence, that's my favorite team. Love the Braves. And I have ever since I was a kid. Well, as a kid, my favorite Braves player was David Justice. I used to love that guy, right? And the more I watched the Braves and the more I beheld David Justice, the more I wanted to be like him. 
And I was a ball player when I was a kid. So you know what I did? I changed my batting stance, right, to, to look more like Dave Justice. And I was a righty. He was a lefty. And it always frustrated me. But, but I did the best I could being right-handed. I'd watch David Justice throw a ball. And I'd, I'd try to mimic his throwing motion. David Justice, I even remember how he wore his hat, right? He kind of wore it on the top of his head with the bill of his hat kind of sticking up like this. And I'd go out on the field and I'd wear my hat like that because I wanted to be like him. Well, see, the same thing's true about Jesus. Church, listen, the more we behold him, the more the Holy Spirit works this desire in our lives to become like him. And the more we desire to become like him, the more we're gonna behave like him. And so as we talked about how we wanted to close this service today, here's what we said, let's just behold him. Let's just behold Jesus, our humble savior, our humble king, and let's open our lives up and allow God, the Holy Spirit, to change our desires so that we can become more like him. He's our example, he's our goal, and we have to behold him regularly as his people. So I I just want us to bow our heads, close our eyes all over the room. We're gonna get ready for this moment. Listen, I wanna ask you, don't leave early, don't buzz out of here, don't go get your kids early, stay in the room, be a part of this moment, okay? And I'm gonna pray for us, so let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. God.